Excellent. Welcome to our next uh, podcast or video cast that we're hosting at the moment. This is a particular series that we uh, put together, um, which is focusing in uh, this case on inspirational women from the recruitment and staffing sector. Um, we've reached out to a number of women that I know, ladies that I know who've done an incredible job um, in their careers. And uh, we wanted to bring them onto these podcasts to, to share their insights, their expertise, their knowledge, their challenges, their woes and, and their advice and just about everything else that goes with that. So very pleased to invite along uh, Yvette Clellans, who's the group um, MD of Clinical Professionals and also the CEO of CPL Life Sciences. And you'll see how that link um, all comes together shortly when I'm sure Yvette will give us her, her life story. Um, just so you know, Yvette is one of the top 50 most powerful women in the staffing globally. Um, and that was um, produced by the Staffing Industry Analyst. So that's a great accolade. And having known Yvette now for a number of years on and off, I know that's probably very, very true and certainly rings true for, from what I know of Yvette as well. I believe she's had about 18 years in the recruitment sector, I think, um, but we're going to find out a bit more about that. So but first of all, Yvette, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're, you're a very, very busy lady with the stuff that's going on at the moment, both in your personal life, as we were just talking about, and in your work life as well. So um, first of all, how are you? Good to see you. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, really well. Uh, hanging in there, as they say. Hanging in there, good. Right, well, let's let's get straight into it. And I think, you know, yours is a fascinating story, I think. So um, if you're happy to do so, I'd like you to rewind back to the beginning and give us the Yvette Cleland's life story. Um, you've only got about an hour and a half now. You've only got a, a while to give us. But just, just walk us through the, sort of your story in the recruitment sector, in business, to, from where you started, how you got into it, and then how you are, where you are now. Okay, and um, so I started my my life, my career, if you like, within the pharmaceutical industry, which I stayed in for about seven and a half years. Uh, and I left it and everyone said, you're a lunatic to go into recruitment. And the reason that I left it to go into recruitment, probably because there is a little bit of lunacy within me. And also, um, I wanted to control my life and I just didn't feel in a a massive corporate wheel at that time I, I could control my destiny. Um, so I chose recruitment. Um, I have never ever uh, for one day ever regretted that decision, although it has been uh, chaotic and on some days and weeks a very, very hard um, journey. Um, so started recruiting within the pharmaceutical industry, which was great. Everything I knew I could use all of my knowledge and transfer that uh, into that industry and um, into the staffing industry. And I then changed course. Again, people said to me, that's lunacy. And I went over into the world of um, financial recruiting. Uh, I wanted to try something that I thought would be a little bit of a tougher gig. And um, back then, uh, when I first started in recruiting over 18, 20 odd years ago, um, Pharmaceutical staffing was a gentleman's sport. Everyone was lovely to each other. Um, it was very soft and gentle type of recruitment. And I just wanted something that challenged me a little bit more. So I crossed over into um, the heady world of financial recruitment, got some exposure to London markets, um, got a lot more involved in training again and developing my skill base. And I was 100,000% right. It was a far tougher gig. Um, and I think... That period of um, seven to eight years when I was staffing within um, finance and accounting, I probably learned more in that period of time. Um, and then, of course, we had the global meltdown in 2009, which is really when my career started to, to, to really sort of power forward. It turned out I'm quite skillful in dealing with um, absolute chaos, 
and lots of nasty things happening on a daily basis and lots of stressful situations. Um, and I guess I just really learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about people, how important it is to be kind to people, be understanding, but also to make some quite tough decisions, um, which funnily enough, <laughs> on March 23rd, 18 months ago, it came in very handy to go back through um, what I can only describe nicely as a, a, another period of absolute bloody trauma um, and, and trying to navigate a business back through some really tough times. Um, so I, I don't really have any secret recipe. I, I, get, I do work really hard. So that, that's a bit of a, a secret recipe, I guess. Um, and the other thing, no one ever told me in my life I couldn't do something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, so I, hopefully it's, it's never been an arrogance, but I've always believed if you work hard, you do the right things, hopefully always treat people as well as you can. And this is a tough industry sometimes because I've worked with some very unusual people um, over the years, good, good and bad. Um, I think really, I, I didn't think, I, I heard people, when I was getting to my mid-late 30s, coming into my 40s, starting to talk about glass ceilings, and, and I, I, I didn't even know what that meant. So when you don't know what something means, it, it, it didn't allow me to, you know, start thinking, well, I can't do this, or I can't do this. Um, but very lastly on my journey, what I would say, the one thing I've been absolutely gifted with throughout my career is the people I've had the privilege to work with. Um, one actually that came from my last business to here that I've worked with now for nearly 16 years. Um, and I guess I've just been very lucky to meet some really phenomenal people on my journey. So um, that's it really. Um, and I guess at the heart of everything, I just, I'm a good recruiter. I understand how to recruit. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> I don't know about other stuff, but I do know how to recruit. So well, that does help. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff in there that you just said. And I think, you know, that whole piece around people that you work with, I think, you know, good people gravitate around good people and other people vice versa. So, you know, I think I wouldn't just pass it out to other people. I think you've done a good job in, in, in surrounding yourself with the right people and, and probably you attract the right people as well. So, which I think is important. Just, just to rewind a little bit, because I want to get into a little bit of detail. The, um, the journey for clinical professionals into CPL. Because um, obviously CPL is a listed company, 99, I think it's since 99, I think. So, you know, it's a big business, right? I mean, it's a big global business, a European business. The, um, what was that journey like for you going into a, a CPL type community environment, which is a big corporate business that you didn't want to be part of? Absolutely. Uh, so the first thing I would say is I'm still here. So most people, when um, businesses are acquired, they go along their journey, get their earn out and, you know, trot off and do something else. Um, I'm still here through choice uh, and, and thankfully, thankfully, because CPL, I hope, still want me here. Um, that journey had huge ups uh, and, and a couple of downs. Um, the huge upside was we'd had four different offers on the business um, and my CFO and I, Glenn, went out and um, uh, pitched the, the business to industry. We had four offers for the business and we chose CPL because the values of CPL were right for us. Uh, right. Everybody we met just had the right attitude. They were really good people. And I have to say on that journey, that's still very much the case. And all of those good people are still with CPL, still working with them. We had a little bit of a down when we um, implemented some a new CRM and it didn't go very well. 
Um, but again, I, it didn't go well. It was very harrowing. Um, but we had to really sharpen our skills up to get the business through that time period because you live and die on your database and the relationships that you've built. So that was a, a bit of a load. But during that time period, again, I learned so much about the team that I work with and the team that I worked with in CPL as well. Mm. Um, and as I say, the, to really, I guess, round that up, I'm still here. And my ambition for the business is far greater than it ever was. Don't tell Anne Heritage that yeah. <laughs> when, we were, when we were acquired. It, it's far greater now. I, I, I can really see what we can do. Having such a, a great organisation behind us, because the reason for the selling the business was really to allow us to grow globally. It's hard sometimes when you're a smaller independent business yeah. to really buy through. You don't have the cash to burn and the mistakes to make. Um, you don't either under a large organization you have to be very thoughtful about what you're doing but um it just gives you that little bit more confidence um so again we um Glenn and i uh, my cfo we had lots of decisions to make during that journey but everything just felt right um and actually cpl were acquired in january this yeah. year by a japanese company outsourcing inc and again, I've met um, some of the senior executives from there and their ambitions for the business, the organization and, and what they're doing. Again, it's been really inspirational. We've just loved it. So, um, and, and they have access now to a truly global platform for us. So, yeah. um, no, fantastic. And, and, and a great job to you for doing that. The, 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 you talk a lot about ambition. When you, when you originally were involved with you know, clinical professional right at the beginning, did you have the ambition to build a business that was going to be an exit or was that not even on the, on the card, was even a consideration? I was actually really brought in, so as a majority shareholder, to get the, the business scale to um, for, for acquisition and for right. us all to, I've never, I haven't reached what I want to reach with the business yet. I'm, I'm nowhere near where I would like the business to get to, both from a, a, a global scale the life sciences industry is a truly truly global business mm -hmm. and um we've gone in we've been able to um spearhead uh, the group into the us which was really exciting to be trusted to do that um switzerland we already had a very very strong european presence anyway with a couple of little missing um areas and, and we've been able to go in and fill those um gaps in and now really we're starting to look far further afield um yeah. Mm. That ambition is still very much within me, although I think there are probably a few people around me that deserve to step up very soon. <laughs> so probably hoping at some point I decide to trot off and do something else, but we'll see. <laughs> Maybe going down to Cornwall for a bit, um, as we just talked about. The, um, okay, and, and you've described a couple of sort of major things that happened. Like we talked about what happened 18 months ago. You talked about obviously the big the, the crash earlier before that and some things that happened. What, what have been some of the real pivotal moments in your life and career that have really molded you into who you are today and maybe made you the person that you are today? I know it's really awful. I, I, when we bring um, uh, sort of new team members in, I still always train on our, our first day's training. I like to get to know everybody and, and I like them to get to know me. Um, and I, I teach them about all the disasters in medicine that have led us to the regulatory place that we are today. Coming back to recruitment, my pivotal moments have always been moulded from a disaster, um, be it 2009 and having to navigate uh, and clueless 
absolutely cluelessly navigate through a really, really difficult period of time. Um, and I think that was down to really believing in the teams. And the other thing as well, picking the phone up myself again and getting back down with the ground troops on the ground, because I think it's very easy for somebody to, um, is it pigeon management, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we won't go into that. I think sometimes you have to really be in the trenches and understand what people are facing on a daily basis uh, mm. and, and be able to absorb that with them. Yeah. Um, to reduce the shock element of, of that, be a bit of a shock absorber to it. And for people also to see you out there, um, you know, really getting on with it, that they know that you can do the job. You know, mm-hmm. just there's one word that used to resonate with me that whenever I was um, asking people about what they loved about their role, but what could be better, the word autonomy would come out all of the time. And I would say, well, what does that mean? I don't really know. I know what the word autonomy means. What does it mean to you? And it did seem to be really managing yourself a lot more. Um, I think we've all been in staffing businesses where you see lines of people like battery hens, you know, and everyone's pick the phone up, pick the phone up. We've never really been been that type of business. Um, And on the 23rd of March, um, when we had to um, just basically shut the business down and all work from home, our productivity, there was a lot of planning within 24 hours of that much. I'm, I'm always focused on getting it right from day one. Um, and we just brought a new mantra into our business, which is really awful and quite crude, but it was, you can only eat what you kill. Um, the phone is not going to ring off the hook with jobs now. So we all need to man up, <laughs> make sure we're all out there putting back in those relationships that we've nurtured for years. And we found some really amazing things happen during that time period. The clients that we'd always um, been quite generous to when different things had happened along the way. Um came back to us and said, you really supported us in certain times, we're going to support you. And one, which is a massive maker of um, Dettel, uh, producer Dettel, paid all of their bills early, rang, rang up and said, we're going to pay every invoice off and we're going to pay some of them early. Which they just sort of knew that staffing businesses um, we're going to go through a really tough time and we all needed each other in one way or another because it was mm. going to bounce back up again. Um, so it's little actions like that that um, really made me understand that the, the importance of those really deep-rooted relationships are so important both with your own teams but obviously externally as well with both candidates and with your clients. I think, I think that's absolutely spot on and it's so, you know, you and I have spoken a lot about this over the course of the last 18 months actually and I think you know, I'm so proud and pleased to hear these stories come out now because we often talk about the importance of long-term relationships, playing the long game, doing the right thing. And yet we still are in an industry which is very short-term, get the cash and hit your KPIs and, and move on sort of stuff. So when you actually hear the success stories that are coming out from that strategy, it's, it actually is it's humbling to make you realize actually you don't need to play that game. You can play the long game, do the right thing. And it does actually work. It really does work. Um, just, I just want to touch on leadership for a second because one of the things I'm trying to describe your leadership style. The two words I've written down are chaotic and lunacy. So I'm not sure that that really fits into your book. I don't know. Maybe it is, um, but you know what I mean by that when I say that. But the, you know, one of the challenges we had 18 months ago on that day when everyone said, right, everyone go home and like and, and crack on and go and kill what you're eating, etc. Um, 
leadership was tested, right? Because not only at the top, you had 24 hours to make a decision, get on with it and do it, but also then how do you manage and lead people from afar when I can't see them every day, I can only see them on Zoom, I'm basing that on really on figures and KPIs and outputs and everything else. Did, did you see leaders step up to the mark? Did you see a change in how people were leading people? We did, but what we did was um, in that 24-hour period from when I went home, <laughs> it was 12 hours, I went home at a bit early, went home at five o'clock panicking, got up the, thought overnight about what we would do, got up very early the next morning and then spoke to all of my directors at eight o'clock. And I said, what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is we're going to meet every single morning at 8 a.m. on Microsoft Teams. And we're going to meet every day at 4.30 in Microsoft Teams. We're going to pull right in into our cocoon and we're going to circle our wagons, get in there, bows and arrows ready, and we're, we're going to get it. We've got to protect our teams. We've got to protect jobs now. We've got to really think about what we're doing. So I need to make sure. In 2009, the, the reason I could get the business through that just colossal meltdown was we filled every job we got in. And we were fighting for every job, so we had to fill it. And although there were quite a lot of people around on the market, um, there weren't always the right people around on the market. So, so understanding how that had helped us then, I thought, well, I'm going to have to get our hit rate up. Now, we lost 50 60% of all of our job flow within a week, which is quite hairy and scary in my world. Um, but we took our hit rate up from around 23 24% very much a structured business. If I'm an expert in medical affairs, that's all I will place in. That's where my credibility and product knowledge is. But during that time, we might have had less jobs coming in on med affairs, but more coming in on regulatory. So we were deploying really clever people within our business and saying, I need a whole team of you covering the market right away on that one job because we've got to fill it. That needs four really high quality CVs within 72 hours. Done. Yeah. So we would deploy all those working forces into the right place. And we saw within six months, our jobs really bounce back up. But by then, our working pattern was really acute. There was no, no more of this sat back building up a shortlist. How the bloody hell do we have a shortlist for? You've got to get the candidates over to the client and you've got to be able to talk about those candidates. You've got to bring them to life. Now, normally they don't want to listen because they're all so bloody busy, but now they're all sat in their front room like you and they've got time to talk to you about these brilliant candidates. And um, we also offer different ways of interviewing candidates as well, because a lot of our industry was not ready um, for being remote. Um, but we already had the technology embedded into all of our systems. We had just never tested it. So um, that meeting, we, we still do that now every day, eight o'clock every morning, 4.30 every day. But it's made us stronger as a, a team. Um, and I think, yeah, chaos, bit of lunacy on my part, on occasion, absolutely. But I always play with a straight bat. Yeah. So when I say something to somebody... They know it's it's not, you know, bull. Yep. <laughs> they don't, on point, I, I absolutely often need to be challenged because my head works in quite a different way. Um, and um, but generally, we, we get to the right point. But I, I think it's a straight bat as well. If I say something, I mean it. I'm not just saying it to be heard or something like that. So, no, I know for sure. And, 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 and but the, the market's now changed, right? We've moved on. So we're now in a situation where 
we're sort of out of the office, out of our lounges, and we're back in an office space or hybrid or whatever everyone's doing. Massive candidate shortages everywhere. Huge amounts of growth and and desire. No, in your industry, massive, huge. So, you know, has your your philosophies changed now? And and obviously, you had to flip to the market and, and adapt accordingly. But you know, right now, presumably, you know, getting the jobs filled is absolutely critical. You now, conversion ratios across a lot of the sector is low, a lot lower than it needs to be, and yet everyone's still having record months and record quarters. So, we're do- everyone's doing really, really well. Although there's quite a lot of opportunity loss at the moment that we're missing. So, what what are you guys doing differently now and moving forward? to really capitalize on this fascinating market that we're in now and probably will be for a good 12 to 18 months. Yeah, so uh, if something's not broken, don't try and fix it. And we have found um, through disaster, this new way of working actually works very well. We now have, um, going back to that word autonomy, we have really fantastic team members that love the balance of being at home, and being in an office, they've got that choice um, about how often they go into the office and how often they're going to work from home. Uh, those mornings, morning meetings and afternoon meetings have kept, um, I hate to use the word control, it's soft control, it's not, um, you know, you know, microscopic control, but it's, we're controlling our time better, we know where our time should be spent. We're understanding better the clients respond better to, to how we work so we can really focus our time down working with those right clients um we're really really good could always be better but really really good we have candidate ownership in this business and my reason around that and it was one of the first things i changed when i joined joined here 10 years ago if you rent a car you might do the odd handbrake turn and a bit of spinning and a bit of burning around. And if you own the car, you don't do that. Um, you tend to look after your own car a little bit more. So take that to your candidates and think, if I'm going to be dealing with you day in, day out, week in, week out, until I place you, I'm going to care about you. And I'm going to care about what you do. And I'm going to really understand your motivators. And I'm going to go and find you the best job. When you as a candidate are getting lots of different calls from lots of different people who are asking you the same information again and again because they haven't recorded it onto your CRM, that's not a good candidate experience. So we're still finding that our hit rate, even though our job flow has way surpassed what we were doing pre-COVID, our hit rate is still similar. Good. Well, that's excellent. And, and that's how you create real sustainability and scalability, which is obviously what this is all about. The um, let, let, Let's talk about some of the other changes that have happened over the last 18 months. And I, and I was chatting to someone about this earlier on. We talk about COVID a lot and the impact it's had on working patterns and that type of stuff. But there's a lot of other things that have changed and probably not necessarily directly because of COVID, but uh, indirectly potentially because of COVID. I think one of the things is things like diversity and equality has really risen to the, to the forefront a lot higher. I think people are, are feeling a little bit more uh, have the ability to speak a lot more about what they re- truly believe in. I think there's, I feel there's a bit of a revolution happening at the moment where people are really trying to fight for what they believe is right. And I think the world is starting to see that a lot more, whether that be through environmental stuff or, or whatever it might be. But when we talk about um, ED&I and stuff within your business and within your markets, what, what do you see is going on at the moment? Is it improving? Is it getting better? Is it changing? Um, is not much happening? I'm going to be really really frank and and to the point here i think um equality diversity and inclusion 
has been at the bedrock of, of this. If you walked into my business, I wouldn't, you wouldn't even need to start talking stats or anything else. Um, we always go out and look for the very best people to do that role. And because of that, an incredibly diverse business. And I love it. Now let's go to my industry life sciences. Um, it's getting some things right. I think there's a danger that a lot of large corporates are ticking boxes. I cannot abide and will not waste my time ticking boxes. Now there's one thing and I lobby it all of the time, as much as I'm part of the staffing world, um, I would say the majority of my, my speaking events, if you like, are actually within industry. So I, I've written um, government papers in the past. I've um, uh, get very, very involved with a lot of the industry itself and I'm lobbying at the moment. And um, four years ago, we were the only staffing business um, to be invited to go and sit on um, uh, the trailblazers for employer-led apprenticeships within our industry. Um, our industry is quite snobby. Um, everybody loves a you know first class honours degree, or you must have this kind of scientific background. One of my bugbears in life, which comes from a period of time, 16, 17 years ago, when I was a teacher for six months, not really my bag, but I learned a lot during that time, um, is we have to be able, if, if we really do want to run and make a difference to people's lives in equality, diversity, inclusion, we've got these absolutely amazing apprenticeship schemes now that have been you know, designed by employers. They're amazing. But those same employers aren't using them. So my industry, life sciences, um, will need 130 odd thousand new highly skilled workers by 2030. They're only using 23% of their levy, their apprenticeship levy. So we've got these wonderful clinical research, regulatory apprenticeship schemes, and they've got 30 odd people on them. And I think it's a disgrace. Mm. I think it's an absolute not a disgrace. If you want to make a difference to a youngster's life from a disadvantaged background that's gifted with science, get them onto that degree apprenticeship scheme, their whole world opens up. But more than that, you go and look at what they then really bring to that farmer organisation. Yeah. It's a really, really important element. Mm. And then also um, cross-skilling, using the apprenticeship schemes for some of our more mature workers whose roles are going to become redundant as our world moves on with real-world evidence, all these different changes that are occurring. Go and reskill, upskill your current loyal workforce over into these areas where there are vast skill shortages. They're not doing that either. So I think I, I spoke to an executive, very, very senior executive about four or five months ago. And uh, a lot of it was around um, ED&I and, and, and you know, all these wonderful initiatives, uh, initiatives, all the spend, everything that's gone on at the end of it. I said, and how many apprentices do you have on the apprenticeship scheme? Well, none. And I said, well, everything you've just told me is just a complete and utter waste of time, money and energy. You should better show on the ground where you're making impact. If you only make the difference to one person's life, one young person's life, your career has been absolutely worthwhile. Yeah. But the reality is you could make that difference to hundreds uh, of young people and also sustain what is number two in the world. Our biotech industry in this country is just beyond amazing. The talent in this country, and we don't lack talent. 
We've got talent climbing out of drains in this country. We're not upskilling that talent. We're not training that talent. It's just, it's just weird. Yeah. And you, and, you think it, and you think it's the responsibility of the corporates rather than the governments to be doing that upskilling? Well, the government have given an apprenticeship scheme yeah. for the levy, but the industry only uses 23% of that levy. So I think it's quite hard to then go and lobby government. And don't get me wrong, I think the government are making some very unusual decisions at this point in time. But I think it's very hard to go and lobby government around a skills agenda when you don't use what's yep. already there. And when many of the industry gave up their time to go and design those wonderful apprenticeship schemes and then never use them. Yeah, no, for sure. Good. Let's, let's, let's get away from politics quickly and can, can oh, go yes. deeper. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do it over a glass of wine another time. The, um, well, let, let, let's, let's look forward now. What, what does tomorrow look like, Yvette? What, what's, what's happening over the next 18 months, two years for you, for the business, for the industry? Um, for us as an organisation, we are going to um, carry on, um, I guess, increasing our, our global footprint. Um, we want to give everybody that works within the business the opportunity to go and work in Australia or Switzerland or America or um, Poland or wh wherever it is they would like to go and be based. Um, so we will carry on that geographical um, expansion with the business. Um, we are on a constant journey in the business. We've just had our AGM and I stood up at our AGM and said, this is a people's business and it is about the people. And I hear, I hear CEOs say that all the time and I just think, whatever, you don't mean that. Um, we do. Um, everybody in this business counts. Um, so we just want to make it somewhere people want to stay working. As you know, turnover industry is huge. We're getting bombarded by um, internal talent teams, you know, so we'll spend a year, 18 months training somebody really, really well, and then they pop off and go and work for a major pharmaceutical company. Um, that is a bit of a, a downer. So we, we've got to make the business better for everybody within it. So they really feel part of a team and, uh, and can really engage with us. Um, and just really more of the same. I need to create new pathways for my senior leadership group um, as the business gets bigger. I really need that, um, you know, incredibly important group of people that I work with to, to stay with me. I'm, I'm not brilliant on my own, but I've got a great team around me and they are brilliant. So um, I, I need those guys to hang around. So I've got to create the pathways that allow them to really start stepping up within the business as well. Yeah, and I, and I, th I think that generation, that population within a recruitment company is so, in any business, is so critical. It really, really is. Otherwise, it becomes very much one person at the top trying to drag a lot of people as opposed to a whole team moving together, which I think is what it's all about. So, a um, couple of quick fire questions for you, if I don't mind, if you don't mind. So, um, from a, a leader point of view, is there a particular leader? It doesn't have to be in business necessarily um, that inspires you the most, or has inspired you the most? Yeah, you're gonna, Henry Ford, okay. absolutely amazing guy, an industrialist. What I loved about him, he managed to produce affordable products but pay his workers really high wages he got the balance of that welfare capitalism absolutely love that some of the best all-time quotes of any business leader because he was on the ground and actually doing it so really really but i think his impact on um the, the 20th century landscape industrial landscape was is very underrated so i Good. think he's amazing love him. excellent okay let's talk about, what about a business that's inspiring you the most at the moment can i be really really uh mine <laughs> 
Yes. I know that sounds, and I know that sounds awful, but the reason it is, we've come through this really traumatic period of time for many, many people in the business, not just because of what's happened with COVID, but pe you know, people's families have been really badly affected during this time. Different things have happened. Some of my my team members hadn't seen their parents for over a year, um, and it's just been an absolute nightmare. Um, and I am really inspired because what they've achieved over that period of time and where I know they're going and we want to go together is probably one of the most inspirational periods I've ever had in this or any business. Um, so I'm going to be really selfish and say this business is the one that's inspiring me at the moment. You can have that. You can take that all the way home. That's great. Um, and then the last one, I don't know how much you read. I don't know how much time you have to read, actually, to be honest with you, but um, are there any particular business books that you would recommend or one particular book that is, is the go-to, this is the Bible that everyone has to read type thing? Yes. <laughs> the Prophet by Carlo Shabran. Yeah. Um, I bought that for every friend. There is a part in there about work. That you should always go and read it's quite interesting um on my worst days and my best days uh and even on some of my mediocre days the profit is is just the go-to go-to book it's got something in there for fantastic excellent superb listen um i'm conscious of the time and i said we, we, we'll keep this to 30 minutes today so that listen absolutely lovely to catch up with you i think people listening into this podcast now if, if if, if chaos and lunacy is, is the way to lead people forward, then you've got it in spades and, the, and you're proving it bloody well works, which is, which is great. But, you know, I, I love spending time with you. You have, you have an effervescent personality about you. I understand why great people gravitate around you for obvious reasons. And I think that's the, one of the main reasons why you've got such great business. So uh, a load of gems in there. We could talk for hours, but we, we're not going to go into today. So um, Yvette, thank you so much for your time as always. Lovely to see you. And, uh, and thank you for your insights. Take care, Jane. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.